boxing or MMA is the purest exercise, as pure an exercise in storytelling as you can find, maybe outside of war. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. Our guest this week is Mark Kriegel, one of the best boxing writers we have, an author, a TV commentator, and somebody who really seems to specialize a lot on father and son stories. And uh, Kriegel's one of my favorite writers about sports that's out there, and really nice character, a real mensch of a journalist, not many of which exist in our field. And um, yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting conversation because I think he is somebody who's really able to get in to shed some light into some pretty dark corners of a very dark sport in the lives of the people who participate in ways that very few people have. And uh, yeah, so very appreciative that he was able to come on. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, Mr. Mark Kriegel, where would you start if you were interviewing yourself? I wouldn't. That's, that's your problem. You've gotten yourself into this thankless task. Well, what gets you into, before we get to where you got into boxing, what gets you into writing? I, I guess it's, a, it's an inherited uh, condition, and my father's a writer. Um, I, I thought that I would go to law school, <coughs> and uh, I thought I was going to go to law school because I swore that I would not be a writer. I would not subject myself to, to those uh, areas and many humiliations. So I was going to go to law school. I, um, I went through the essay part of the LSAT right here at NYU and walked out. Hmm. My friend, I went back to his house and he was like, what the fuck, what, aren't you supposed to be at the LSAT? I said, I walked out. So that's, I, I then took a job, um, I was teaching myself how to type on my father's Olympia typewriter. I had a book like How to Type. Mm -hmm. And um, I took a job. I was the world's shittiest bartender when like Soho was starting or no, whatever. Um, right by where De Niro has a thread factory. Tribeca. Just horrible, pretentious bar, but it was like, you know, um, a couple hot girls went in there. Mm -hmm. It was a big piece of marble hanging from the ceiling. So I did a, I had a bartending job there. I was teaching myself how to type. And four nights a week, I took the bus from the Port Authority to the uh, Hudson Dispatch, uh, whose headquarters was in Patterson, New Jersey, to write obits. And I couldn't even fucking type. So God knows what I, how many names I screwed up of deceased people. What happened with the LSAT? I didn't want to be a lawyer. It was one of the few things I probably you know, had correct. Um, you know, I, I, I was going to be a lawyer by default, like I think most people become lawyers. I had no real idea. I was 21 or 22, what the fuck did I know? Well, and so your, your dad was a writer and an academic. And, and I did have, by the way, um, I was developing like a, an exceedingly romantic um, idea of what it would be to be a writer because on um, my the, the most at least to my mind the most 
prominently displayed volumes on my father's shelf um, were like Mailer and Hemingway. Hmm. So neither of us were, were particularly subtle. Um, Did you like those writers yourself growing up? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they, they nourished me. Um, you, you know, you can grow up a little bit and think differently of them, but um, I remember being on strike at the New York Post and Mailer coming to speak on like a flatbed truck when it was on South Street uh-huh. and um, helping him up onto the truck. So he you know, wanted someone to scream at in his old age. And I remember he said, um, reporters should be able to tell their own lies, not the lies of their publishers. And I helped him off the, the flatbed and I felt like I was in the fucking presence of God. Um, and I'm probably the only person of my generation or one of, one of the, one of the few people of my generation to feel that way. I think he was already out of fashion. Um, I don't think he should have been, and he was excessive, but he was, you know, he was a genius. But um, the, his boxing stuff moved me. Um, particularly the account of, I hope I get this right, I think it's Patterson Liston. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little segue in that on Benny Perrette. And um, I try to think of what actually, like how I identified all this stuff with, um, with boxing, but there was also there was a collection like with all the like, Jewish literature and all, a bunch of other stuff, but there was a, a, a paperback volume my dad had and I stole from him called Reading the Fights. And I believe it came out, it must have come out in 88 or 84. I don't know, some, so the, I don't, my timeline's a little screwy, but I, screwy, but I know I stole it. Um, and I, I, I love that book. It was a collection of writers on fighting. You know, edited by George Carol Oates and all the other, you know, mm-hmm. some of it's exceedingly familiar at this point, but um, that, that affected me a lot. And it's got Liebling in there, I'm guessing, Jimmy Cannon, like all the... I don't think it has Jimmy Cannon. Okay. Um, but Jimmy Cannon was, when I started becoming a columnist, a newspaper guy, um, Cannon affected me, particularly in Hamill, Pete Hamill recommended him like really, really strongly. And I I started reading Canon and and I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a a city side columnist then. Mm -hmm. And and what you can see is like the the New York columns, the, 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 the male columns at least, are all born from the sports page. Breslin, um, a lot of that stuff comes from Runyon, then Cannon. Cannon, you know, when he's at his best, is is a, is a great urban sentimentalist. Well, that's what I want to get at because you you do come from a line of certainly of sports writers, where yes, you're using the prism of of a boxer's story or boxing, mm-hmm. but you're very often talking about the family 
you're talking about different cultures, you're using it to really deep dive into a lot of other themes. I, I am invariably, um, I don't plan it like this, but I am invariably talking about uh, family dysfunction. It always gets back to that. No matter what the fuck I do, it, it always gets back to family dysfunction. I'm, I'm like, I'm at this point, I'm like tired of defending it. I don't, I don't think that, you know, there's a boxes come from uh, poor people. Okay, but I think that even more than that, if you look the the, the, the genesis moment, what made someone a fighter, um, almost always there's some there's some cataclysm in his or her emotional history. Well, let's look at some of those. So Ali has his bike stolen. Tyson has the pigeon's head being twisted off. Tyson has the pigeon. I mean, look, I, I can't speak for Ali because Ali might have been an anomaly in all ways because, I, I, you know, he he's he is an anomaly in that he's essentially a middle class kid. Right. Uh, very unusual. Um, Tyson, you know, I was I was just reading this book called The Domino Diaries, and it, but it, but get, like you go back, Tyson, you come out, you throw your fastball, Mike, what's the matter with you? Oh, my father was a pimp, my mother's a drunk, and all I ever wanted to do, even though she was a drunk, was make her proud, and of course I never could. Boom. It, it, it's right there. Space. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, I, I never wanted to be a sports writer. I never thought I'd cover boxing for a living, but I always went back to boxing. Just, it, it, it drove me there. Well, and so it's hard to read about somebody describing you in a paragraph where it doesn't come back to fathers and sons. And the only other living writer I know where that's like a thing that's inescapable when people talk about them is Wright Thompson. And I, I really like Wright Thompson. I, I haven't spent a lot of time with him, but we're friendly. And I, he does, like one example... I asked him, you're off Twitter, that's kind of unusual for people your age, writers need to get that dopamine hit. And he was like, well, somebody attacked my dad. And I just laid into them in such a way that I thought, I cannot participate in this because I'm so vulnerable if somebody goes after him. And I was thinking in regard to you that both you and I had fathers that wanted to be writers, yours made it, mine didn't. Making it is relative, but okay. But. I, I was. Interested. I do remember having this conversation with Wright. I don't know if he would remember it. Uh huh. I like him very much. He's obviously enormously talented. But I, I remember when we were talking. Actually, we were talking in regard to to Pat Riley. Um, and the, and the father, the subject of fathers came up, and I made a reference to um, fathers being narcissists, and. That my father, while he was a, a cripple and lost his legs to polio, is a narcissist, and I think that he would agree with this. It, it, it helped him. It helped him model himself. Hemingway gave him something to model himself after. Hmm. So my dad always wrote about masculinity and being tough, and it was it was not a, it was not an easy task. Um, Emotionally or intellectually, to find your own territory. Um, How old was he when he when he lost? He was eleven. Um, so that's the you know the narrative 
that's the thread in his work. You know, um, I go to summer camp in 1944. Um, I'm a Jew from the Bronx. Bah, 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 bah. I go to summer camp and um, we're swimming in the fucking mountains and a bunch of us get polio. The kid next to me, they put in an iron lung. He dies. With me, it stops at my, uh, around my waist. So you have uh, a, eventually, what comes of this is you have a, a handsome, potent male without any fucking legs. Right. Without, you know, so uh, I guess that makes me less than original. <laughs> well, with one of the most famous presidents ever hiding that fact. Hiding it, right. And, right. So, was he, what did he, did he talk about FDR in relation to that? Yeah. Um, I remember, like, one of the, and what I mean, I, I don't, like, understand me too easily about the, the narcissism. I don't mean it, um, I think it enabled him to push through. Um, and my dad's very charismatic. And the, the conversation with Wright was, he says, like, do you know what it's like to have a narcissistic father? And he's like, of course I fucking do. He, he, I don't think he said fuck. Or if he did, he said it in a cool southern way. Um, was that was a judge or a lawyer? Remind me. I don't, I don't know. So I don't know. It's one or the other for right. I remember. But it was obviously like a, a, a charismatic, powerful figure. Super um, political, super activist, yeah. and all that. Yeah. <coughs> so anyway, that's where. But um, so my dad. That's. So I, I feel. Uh, um, for, forgive me for being this self-indulgent. I, I don't mean it like this, but I, I felt a, a great kinship with this kid, Tiafimo, for, for um, whatever the, the stuff he's been given with his father, whatever the, the whatever hand he's been dealt. And this is Tiafimo Lopez, who just beat Richard Comey at the Garden. Tiafimo's dad saying. We're gonna knock out Lomachenko, easy, nothing. Um, when I got into the dad's story, and I, I knew it would be like this. I did feel a great, um, I, I identified with Tiafimo, I'm, I'm certainly not saying he identified with me, because I, 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 um, at some level you are dealing with a crippled father. Hmm. Um, now, uh, my, my dad just, lost the use of his legs, Tiafimo's, young Tiafimo's challenges are, are much more, um, I think, profound. That the, the dad, you know, he's not like a normal dude. I, I kind of, I find a lot to empathize with the father and I, I see why he is the way he is now. His mom committed suicide, his dad died when he was calling for him and he was a screw up, but I, I, I I did feel something in common with Tiafimo, you know, obviously having nothing to do with talent. Right. Do you think, um, one of my favorite short stories when I was, I guess, a teenager, I, I didn't start reading until kind of late. I was too dumb to enjoy it for a long time. But I read that Hemingway story, Fathers and Sons, which I thought was so counter to the hyper-masculine Hem Hemingway image. It's actually a very gentle, sensitive portrait of a son looking at his dad in, in a really tough situation that was on its way to leading to his father's suicide. 
What's that? Is that the In Our Time collection? Uh, it was after is that. Is Michigan? The Father Commits Suicide in Michigan or something? Uh, it's. I don't remember the location being really clear, but but what it is is it's, it's Hemingway and his own boy. He's about six years old, seven years old, and they're traveling across the country in a car. And as they're traveling, the son is saying, "What was what was Grandpa like?" And Hemingway is forced to describe his dad when he was a young boy while kind of leaving out the suicide to his own son and it's quite interesting because in the background of that I know that there was a pact between Hemingway and his own son to say we're never going to do this too this isn't something that we, we, we have to promise each other we're not going to end up like this mm-hmm. in a family violates it. well and the whole family was riddled with suicide yeah. I mean there's seven in the immediate family but it's a it's a very tender portrait of the the grandfather who whose life ended in this way and i was thinking about it in relation to you is there any way that we can escape i mean i have i definitely have a lot of issues i'm trying to work through mm-hmm. with my own parents mm-hmm. but i find that have you written much about your dad for example directly no do you think indirectly you're writing about him a lot yeah cuz i'm always but i think that there yes i do i do it all the time, um, all the time. Um, but the the difference in terms of um, uh, subject matter and territory. Uh, my, my dad is much more well read. Um, he was a basically a scholar first. I'm not. I'm not particularly well read. I have a good sense of language and rhythm, but what I write about because I was in sports, he writes about masculinity and literature. I'm basically writing about fame hmm. and masculinity. Hmm. Um, the intersection of those two. I'm, for what I, I'm always writing about. I mean, look. I mean, if you're, you know, I was a columnist for a lot of years, so you're writing about. What? Why do certain people get over? Why do certain cases become famous? Um, why do certain people resonate? Um, Namath, the book and biography was about fame and masculinity in America, sexual revolution, all. Um, Pistol about Maravich, same thing. Mancini, same thing. Why did? Why did Mancini, why did Ray Mancini resonate the way that he did in the early 80s? There's this moment where, there's this moment where, you know, guys off the street look at him and go, when are you going to beat Mr. T's ass? They don't even make the distinction between him and Rocky. He's like, he's an Italian guy, he's a fighter. So it's, it, it's, it's about fame. It's about a, a very particular type of American fame. Well, let me ask you about because I was I was just watching a documentary on Andy Warhol, mm-hmm. who kind of obsesses me because I, on the one hand, don't think he is an artist, and the other, I think he's the greatest artist, and he. I think he felt that too, right? Yeah, yeah, he felt he was kind of a non-artist, but but I do think he's the greatest philosopher that's ever lived on fame, and one point that was said about him is leading up to 1962, <coughs> could be 63, I believe it's 62. Uh, you have 40 years of Norman Rockwell being the chronicler of American life with everyday life, everyday people. 
Then Warhol takes over and it's celebrity that speaks for us. And it's not just celebrity speaking for us, but when you get Marilyn Monroe after the suicide, Warhol immediately is tackling that as, as an item, as an issue. And you get the Lifesavers assortment of colors of Don't Marilyn. forget that fucking tomato soup can. That, that, yeah, and that's, that precedes but, but not celebrity in the same way. But there, there's another there, there's another element to this, which is like a guy who a guy I thought was one of the most interesting characters in my Joe Namath biography, guy mm-hmm. George Lois, who's an ad guy. Yeah. And what George, he's from around here. I, I, I used to see him at the Y, the McBurney. Hmm. Very famous ad guy, but he also did all those famous covers for Esquire. Right. And it, and he put he put Warhol drowning in that tomato soup can, right. and he put Liston in a Santa Claus hat. Um, and he put Ali with, with arrows through him. So, going back to Warhol, my question is, is, is Warhol an, an artist? And the question is probably moot. Or is he, does he, did he understand like the real medium of the age, which was sort of art, but it's really, it's kind of about like advertising. Oh, right. No, no, no it's question. Not, it's, you know, it, it, no it's, question. Not, it's not done in prose. You're not a painter. You're not doing fucking Guernica. It's this hybrid of putting images with ideas together, and some of it's bullshit, and some of it is startlingly brilliant. That I totally agree with that. I, the point I was just going to make about Marilyn and all these different flavors is we're not just looking at Marilyn. We're looking at our collective desire for Marilyn. Yes. That's new. Yes. And you get to, we can't have what we desire, Marilyn, but we can all have our particular taste <coughs> of what we desire. I get to have Marilyn and gold for me, and you get to have red, and somebody else gets lime. That's a weird Dude, concept. I don't, I don't think. I don't think that. I, mean, look, I, I don't know if that's. What, I don't think that was what it was about. I think that he introduced. So you have this Norman Rockwell world, and what you've really done, like all the all the boxing people, are like what the fuck are they talking about? At this point, but, but you have this Norman Rockwell world. And now you've introduced irony to it. You can make fun of shit that was sacrosanct before. And that's, to me, what Warhol is about. Tomato soup, why is it art? Because I fucking said it was. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe I'm a bullshit artist, maybe I'm not. Um, but isn't it also the dark side of the American dream? Like Marilyn, it's, it's Marilyn in her glory, but it's also Marilyn in her glory after we know she's committed suicide. So you can't have one yeah, without the I other. Think that's part of it. But I mean, look, guy who guy who's mercilessly lampooned as misogynist and this and that and the other thing, maybe he was mailer, but an American dream comes out in what 1965, mm-hmm. 1960, some 19, I don't know, mid 60s, yeah, mid 60s. Now that's a paperback on my dad's shelf, and I remember um, the cover of it, like a. A brown paper bag with all of like stockings and American flags and machine guns and all this, this shit in it. Mm-hmm. And I, that book's over the top. It's fucking great. Um, I think the first line is like, I met Jack Kennedy and what, and, and he understood in those in those Esquire pieces, like why Kennedy would resonate. And this was also, this was about fame and celebrity, and. I mean, I think that by the time Mailer gets to Marilyn, she's no longer fresh, and I don't mean that as, no, no, as I know badly as yeah. it sounds. But you know, she, she, 
Um, anyway, I, you know, it, it's it's an interesting proposition, but I think that what he's really introducing is irony. Hmm. Like he's, he's he's taking shit that you couldn't make fun of before and making fun of it. I just think that I agree with you. I think there is humor, and there's definitely a, a, a genius for immediacy that comes from the advertising. But I think it's interesting how it dovetails with boxing a little bit, that we have these great icons of boxing that are always there with kind of every epoch that America goes through. There's kind of the boxer for its time that resonates in a pretty big way for its time. Going back like 120 years, you've got a face. Dempsey. Marciano, Ali, Tyson, Jack Johnson, Mayweather, Joe Lewis, Mayweather, perfectly fits. Perfect. So I'm just wondering when you're talking with the, with, the, with the sort of reality TV America, which of course has nothing to do with reality, mm. but it, but it was it was a brilliant concept, and you have to credit Mayweather himself with it because no one else gave, I don't think anyone else ever gave him gave him help, and you know you have to re, you have to reinvent yourself into this. Narcissistic character, this offensively, relentlessly narcissistic character, and you will get over. You'll have riches and fame beyond your imagination, and that is his conception. Right. Well, it's funny. I mean, <clears throat> you tell me if this is true. In the in the chess world, when I was looking at all the world champions, a very common trope was that none of them had dads. The dad was either dead or disappeared very, very early in their lives. Most of the time, they had no right. memory of their dad. But I think in boxing, too, as I'm going through some of these... Have you ever seen such a fucking epidemic as this? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I asked Tiafimo's manager recently, because he does Dave McWhorter. He, he signs kids based on metrics. Like, I don't any fucking not Like, what titles they won coming up by a certain age and... Um, and we went through all the fighters who are now champions coming into prominence going to the olympics who have been trained by their fathers i've never seen anything like this and his argument and I, there's no way to prove it or disprove it but his argument was that it had something to do with the crash of 2008. Hmm. i have no way you know it's an interesting proposition but it, it it's such an overwhelming phenomenon and you can no longer dismiss it as purely dysfunctional um especially when the most well-trained fighter and the best the most accomplished certainly the most accomplished trainer is is, is Vasily and Anatoly Lomachenko you know the guy the guys trained two pound-for-pound pound champions in, in Usyk and, 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 and his son um, but you've got it runs the gamut from uh, Vasily's dad to Tiafimo's dad Danny Garcia Sean Porter Mayweather's dead. Mayweather, that, that, that's a father-son story to begin with. I've seen guys on Twitter like, I don't give a shit about the family story. All right, great. You don't have to. But first of all, in every other sport, you never get to ask these questions. You never get to get anything that approximates the truth. By the time they become real stars, it's half of it is bullshit. Not, or it's just, it's not, you're not really dealing with the real issue. Boxing, we get to do that. It's it's a that's a that's a blessing and it's a responsibility. And I, I think that people do want to hear how the star that they want to vilify or love came to be. 
So anyway, but I remember. Um, but is that for you? I agree with mm -hmm. you. Is 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 some part of that? Like I, I mean, where I was going to go at the beginning of this was to say, how'd you wind up here writing this? Well, yes, but mm -hmm. also like if you're confronting your dad a lot in exploring this dynamic that is really important to you, even when you're unconsciously exploring it as well as much as consciously. I, you know, by the time I got around to Tiafimo, and this story was like, like they're all hard for me. I, I never got any, I never got more efficient. Yeah. You know, um, it's why I used to smoke, sometimes I'll drink. Now, you know, it, I, I've never been an efficient writer. I wish I could say that I was. It's a struggle for you to do it Always. Still? Sucks. Is TV the same? No. TV's easy? TV's not easy. Easier? T TV, TV's easier, you know, I gotta watch out for like my own like sort of ticks on camera because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a print guy and like, and like Tess will get, you know, he'll get like, come on man, Mark, don't put your hand down, you can't reach over and grab across the table. And, and he's right, there's a, there a, there a grammar to it. You, it's not like, sitting down with your parents and everyone can scream and it's very difficult for me but the writing for tv i do these essay pieces on the broadcast i actually enjoy them and i don't know when when i've ever enjoyed writing anything and it's not like there's not pressure on it but it's just you're taking custody of fewer and fewer words and I can do stuff now in, in one proper word. It would take me like a page to do in prose. And it's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, I tell them, you know, use this picture with that. Use that image with this. Um, it's it, again, it, it's not, it's not prose. It's like ad copy. That's a sort of hybrid form. It's not. I, I don't know what it is. If it's writing or not writing or whatever. But, um, but last week writing this thing sucked. Hmm told my girlfriend, don't be around me, I'm sorry, I'm an asshole, I don't mean anything, I'm just, I'm, you know, even the dog didn't want to be with me. Hmm. Looked up at me like, you're an asshole. Do you find it's easier, like, I mean, with regard to the dad thing, I find, like, I have mined what it was like with, you know, he's working really hard at a job he doesn't want to do, mm -hmm. and, you know, and everybody goes, oh my God, child protection law, that's the last thing I'd want to get into. And I was like, yeah. It would lead anybody to drink. You need to cope. It's it's hard to take in that much pain from people. But I I don't spend as much time talking about the positive things that are like I because you generally when you're writing it's easier to focus on not the negative but like the darker stuff for well, me at least. I, I just read because I you know I was on my way. I just reread a passage of yours. And I'm not like jerking you around here. But does both, which is was really, I thought it was really good. My my dad, it had the capacity to surprise. My dad drank every day, and I forget you telling me how much he drank, but it was it was a lot. But I never I never saw him drinking. I never I never saw him I never saw him order a drink, and that if I'm I'm probably misquoting you somehow, but. Whatever shit he, whatever pain he inflicted, he inflicted on himself, primarily himself, in private. Whatever lashing he did. Um, I mean, I know this isn't the way that most alcoholics are supposed to do it. They're supposed to like beat their kids and all this other shit. And I thought that that was, that was a great passage, because 
you explained his you explained his weakness and his virtue right fucking there without having to move to a different section of the book mm. or boom it was right there well it, i i just i don't I forget like, what your question was well no 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 just just that like like that like I never thought he was an alcoholic, and even mentioning that, he was kind of like, me? And, and it's like, well, no, I mean, because you didn't fall off anywhere else, but it still had an impact that you had to, all it was for me was, you were leading a life where you needed to emotionally self-medicate, and it makes me sad because I admired what he was doing for his work, and I admired him, but I thought, what did he, do? he was a child protection lawyer, but I, I wanted isn't there some way to do this, to, to manage this, to navigate this, where you don't have to hurt yourself? Because I'm afraid to be in this world well, without you. horribly poetic profession. In, a, in effect, but he wanted to do what your dad did and, and what you do. And well, my dad was upset, he wouldn't say it, but the, <laughs> I don't love my dad podcasts, but um, they didn't have more popular success. And um, I know he wanted that. I know he wanted that. And that's why... Um, More recognition, yeah. notice. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's why I, I'm never going to be a fucking writer. I told myself that, ever. Um, the, pain, the pain of that. No, I just, I didn't, I didn't like the idea of my, I didn't like my, the idea of my dad being rejected. Yeah. It, it, made, me, it made me feel violent. You know, it's a very intimate way to be rejected, isn't it? As a writer, or yeah. Well, I was thinking about it. You. No, I don't think it's. No, I don't. I think that the real humiliation, of, of, the real humiliation, of being a writer, is you. You write something that's so fucking personal. It's so intimate, and you get a rejection slip. <laughs> yeah. So the rejection is non-intimate. The the that's a that's a killer. That's a killer. Oh, and publishing rejection is just a fucking drone strike. I mean, it's like. But but it's but it's but it's we don't we don't recognize you as a person. I know you you might have put your everything into this but we don't recognize you as a person that's that's better that's what a rejection slip is um or you get like a pat in the head a nice editor pencil something in the margins um well i mean your dad your dad wrote a biography of edmund wilson and i've read some of edmund wilson's criticism his poetry is terrible and yet what resonates with me is that frustration that F. Scott Fitzgerald referred to him as his artistic conscience. And he shouldn't have been, because he was a condescending asshole who couldn't be half the writer that Fitzgerald was. But Fitzgerald assumed that he somehow could find things that Fitzgerald could never do. It's a very father-son kind of dynamic. But it pisses me off that Fitzgerald, that insecurity was there, that he would offer deference to this guy. I think that we could use... I, I'm, I'm not at all versed in Edmund Wilson. I don't read my father's canon except for like the, the few posing tough guys. I'm sort of joking. What have you, you read of your dad? No, but, but, um, but, but, um, 
but i do think that this culture could use many more edmund wilson's hmm. i i'm not harold blooms and whatever snobby sons of bitches that you want um i i think that this culture could use a few more um guardians when, when i was in um when i was in grad school and he should have like without any justification or should have nothing but my own fucking talent which was silly I took this, I took a, a course on writing with style. And the teacher, the professor was Peter Prescott. Mm -hmm. His father had been a, a big literary critic too. He was, at, he was at Newsweek. And he fucking, he cut my nuts off in the comments on the morning. You really might ought to think about something else or, he was right, of course. And that's an interesting thing too, because I think that, that really applies to boxers as well, is if you go out there and you try, you might end up being a middling, like what if you're a journeyman writer or a journeyman boxer? It's If you never try, you can in your own imagination imagine you would have been great versus those guys who give it their best and sort of land somewhere in the middle of obscurity. I wonder if it's worse as a writer or worse as a, as a boxer or an athlete. It, it, it's worth, it, it's worse, uh, it's probably worse as a boxer because you're, you're compromising yourself uh, physically. Uh, look. I, ultimately, you're dealing with, um, did I win or lose, is I a failure or a success? And if you can look at yourself and say, I, I, I got something substantial out of my talent, you can say I didn't suck. Mm -hmm. And you know in your heart, by the same token, you know in your heart when you didn't get it. Right. No. And you can bullshit yourself. and. You know, you could play it off like I would have fought him, but he didn't want to fight me. Right? I could have written this book, but I just didn't have the time. You're full of shit. You know it. No. Did you find? I mean, it's interesting. Like you, you mentioned Joe Namath. My my half brother was the product of an affair with an, another Hungarian refugee, like my mother whose name was Steve Namath. So we would always joke that we wanted to get him a Joe Namath jersey so that he could wear his real name. Like we haven't done a DNA test, but it's him. Like I've seen pictures. Um, so we love Joe Namath because of how many Hungarian athlete, prominent Hungarian athletes are out there. Not many for us to, it's like Mordecai Richler talking about the Jewish almanac of sports. He's like, I'm proud of our heritage, but sports probably isn't the realm where we're best reflected for our achievement. Oh, I, 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 by the way, I, I can unlikely sort of literary subgenre of, of guys from steel towns who became famous. Right. Namath's from Beaver Falls, Maravich is from Aliquippa, and Mancini's from Youngstown. They're all, you know, they're all close to each other. All, That's interesting. Yeah. So geographically, you don't move around much. Well, <laughs> not in the last few years. No, it was entirely by, by coincidence. So is Joe Montana next? No. 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 Unless there's unless there's really something like really dark in there, I ain't going. What's dark with Joe Montana? Not much. I don't think I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess L L Leonard Marshall taking him out and ending that, But my... that's not yeah, no, that's that doesn't qualify. That's like yeah. external. I need like inside the home it's gotta be. Do you need so do you need darkness to be there for you to really be drawn to it with characters where you're you're really fallen into telling their story there has to be conflict there has to be conflict 
There has to be conflict. Um, I, I guess the shorter answer is the shorter answer is yes. I mean, look, I, I wanted to be a city side columnist. They turned me into a sports columnist. I was covering like um, it was basically crack dealers. I did some some mob trials I really loved. I, I covered the courthouse in Manhattan. I, I, I like um, we'd all run around on big trials. Um, but so they, they turned me into a, a sports columnist. That um, turned so you was, into it. No, they turned. No, you that, into that it. was they didn't need it. They didn't need another. Oh, I see. Um, uh, another city side columnist. So is that a necessity? It was necessity. It was economic necessity. That's the, interesting. Um, the the post had bought out its sports writers, certainly its columnists, had left, um, and the news was about to go on strike. And you know, we went on strike, and by four months into the strike, the editor who first told me about this said, "You still want that job?" And I was, "Yeah." Hmm. So I was, and all um, all he wanted was sort of red meat. For me, so I started as a columnist at the Post. Went like kicking and screaming the whole way. Hmm. Um, but the only sport. That, so the first thing I can come out and covering the Mets. Like I, I love the Yankees, but I really didn't give a shit about the Mets. Um, the Knicks I loved, and I I do think that they uh, they were a metaphor for the, for, the, for the downfall of the city. Hmm. Um, the Jets, I loved them growing up, loved to hate them as a columnist. But I like, what am I doing like in a fucking Mets game? I, boxing, first time I was there. When was that? Drew me in. Um, <clears throat> I remember covering a smoker. What's a smoker for people who don't know? Was that? It was an amateur bout. Irish kids were fighting American kids, I believe. I don't know if it was in Brooklyn or Queens. I don't remember. Um, it was a kid named Jimmy McMahon. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was a, an early pro fight. Um, it was around the time my uncle Moish died. It was 88. But every time I went to the fights, um, I was drawn in. First column I did that like won an award. It was a suspect award, obviously. But it was uh, Sal Mamby. He was already like 64, hmm. you know, trying to fight. Or, you know, um, every time I went back to boxing, I was rewarded, and all the the stuff that I was good at in terms of sensibility and the way my sentences were naturally structured. Everything was rewarded from boxing. Um, first, the first big fight I went to was Ball Holyfield one. Covered it. Oh, this is this is a heavyweight fight in Vegas. Oh my God. Was, I was mesmerized, and I, and um, in my own sort of post-adolescent sense. Oh, this is what, like. All the big writers were talking about. Hmm. This is this is what Pete was talking about. Mailer, Henry. This this is what was romantic and compelling, and sexy. 
about it. And that's Other a, sports didn't have that. And that's your bite of the apple at that for your time when you're a young guy. That's your first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember Hamill telling me when I got the column, you should make it so that you could write like, if you had to turn the year into a novel or a story, write it like that so the columns, you can keep coming back to them. And I just kept coming back to boxing. And if, if you actually think about what we do in, in boxing, the reason why it works better for writers, actors, producers, directors, it invariably works better for us, I use that loosely, than it does for the fighters who were exploited and screwed over and degraded, is because boxing or MMA is the purest exercise, as pure an exercise in storytelling as you can find, maybe outside of war. War is epic. Boxing is, everything's done in a minor key, even if it's big. Mm. Boxing's intimate. So all the other like stuff that would drive me crazy in other sports, I'll come up to the microphone and bullshit us because you have, because you have media availability. Or I got to come up to someone in the locker room, they're scratching their balls and spitting seeds and they don't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to them. You go to a fighter, he's like, yeah, I'll tell you about that. Here's what it really meant. Yeah. And even if they were lying, or lying to themselves, which I, very rarely do guys lie to, lie to you, I found, but sometimes you can see this guy lying to himself. I was I was honored to do it. I really, really, it was like, the only thing I only only story, only sport I really didn't complain about covering, hmm. which is rare for me. Well, it's odd because most of the writers that I've come across that cover boxing are so diametrically opposed to the people they're covering. In my experience, like like I go to lunch all the time with Thomas Hauser, and I just think <laughs> he. Never has considered covering boxing, but he admires them. I think he really has put the time in to he get them. He never has considered... Like being a fighter or anything oh, no. like that. No, no sense of that at all. Um, I'll tell you what, that Black Lights book yeah. is really Magical. Good. Magical. It's really good. I think it's my favorite book overall it's controlled, in boxing. It's controlled. Um, yeah. I agree. And, and yet you have a kind of... Not on the page, but in person, I've always noticed, and it was interesting because it's a counterpoint to, to reading you on the page, which is a way of meeting somebody. Um, I often would prefer to only meet people on the page, like, you know, letters or whatever. But you have a kind of energy that reminds me, kind of a nervous energy that reminds me of boxers in many ways when, I don't know, it's just, it's just I wonder if there was a connection you felt with fighters as people. Anxiety-ridden narcissism. Huh. I'm not bullshitting. I, I mean, um, anxiety-ridden narcissism. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm tense. I want to do well. Yeah, I mean, you know. Even when you have done well, it's still there. I I, I get sick over every story. Huh. It never like gets I was better. Tell, you know. Yeah, I just I don't know why. I don't think anyone like no one really gives a shit. It's not worth. But you know. Um, but it happens every time. Do you think it's true of their, them too? That I think that they're probably more sane. Um, 
Because you know what it reminds me of is, is I always think with boxers to get into their psychology, it's just all you need to do is just like watch people walking into casinos. Like they've, they've left their family, instead of, instead of use, saving money for a college fund for their kids or something, they're going in there to gamble. And very few people in boxing are, represent like people who work in the casino. Most of us are, are gamblers at heart. Which means we're probably all masochists at heart. I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think they. I don't think that they're gambling. I think. Well, if they're gambling, they're betting everything. They're like, every time they go out is let it ride. Everything. My house, my home, my girl, my kids, and. I've said this for a, for a long time, and I again I saw it again in a, in a quote in Domino Diaries this morning. So I'm sure at one point I stole it, but it's been I've been saying this for 20 years. It's not it's not the fear of getting your ass kicked. It's the fear of humiliation. Yeah, that's a very male. So thing. I don't right. But but that's what to me boxing is all about, and that's why it's about fame and masculinity. And you go in there metaphorically naked, almost really naked, and um, everyone sees the best and the worst of you. Um, but I, I think I don't know about the gambling, but I think it's the fear of humiliation. Every time I sit down to type, I should know better now. <clears throat> I feel like I'm gonna get, I'm about to get into a fight. No, three o'clock. I'm gonna see you after school, motherfucker. Well, I mean gambling in the sense that what's the the payoff? Yeah, there's the money or whatever, so you get like the dopamine hit from winning. But another big part of that is if you've got a gazillion dollars, you need to up the amount you're gambling to feel a threat. I'll buy that. So I think with writing, when you're talking about feeling sick, it okay. tells me that you're somebody that is still pushing your chips in to try to do something good, as opposed to you're you're on autopilot, you're coasting mm -hmm. on your accolades. I think a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people get a position of stature and they, you know, they can rely on their reputation or whatever. I have a sense that you, you are still looking ahead to something that's there. Are, the, the next story will save me. Yeah. The next story. And, <laughs> I was like, Orson Welles said that too. Like, what, do you think you made the greatest movie of all time? No, I think the next one I'm doing will be the greatest movie of all time. Fuck Citizen Kane sort of thing. Do you have that a, a little bit with, you're an award-winning reporter, you're on TV, no, I have it a lot. I mean, I feel like, you know, at 3 o'clock, man, I'm going to see you outside after school. I feel like I'm fucking PS33. Um, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go, you know. Um, and you have to prove yourself all over again. Or I want, or maybe my father will think well of it. Which he always does. It's not, it's not like I have some miserable fucking dad withholding praise. He's lavishing his praise. Hmm. What about your mom? My mom's lavishing her praise, too. Who, who's she? What's her story? Um, my mother, so my, my, my dad has polio. My mom's a beautiful actress at the time. Huh. Right? My dad's very handsome and uh, physically, like, all he did was work out. Hmm. So he, so his massive trunk shoulders from the crutches and working out in the fucking jungle gyms in Van Cortlandt Park 
and uh, refashioned his body. He's still like walking on crutches. And my mom never a wheelchair. Not until the '80s when his his, uh, his shoulders and his elbows just got the shit beat out of him. But always crutches. That's how you remember. <clears throat> always crutches. Uh, yeah, always crutches. Huh. Um. Always, always crutches. And now in the wheelchair, we're going to the fucking restaurant last night. Don't push. Don't don't push me. Anyway, pain in the ass. But um. So. My father's from the Bronx, my mother's from Washington Heights. Um, they meet at Hunter College, which is now Lehman College. And my grandparents disown my mother for marrying my dad. Why? She married a fucking cripple. For marrying a cripple? She married a cripple, yeah. What street was she on in Washington Heights? Do you remember? I don't know. I'm never, I'm never, I'm, so I never, I never met my grandparents on my mother's side. Ever? Never. All I was told is they're crazy, they're bad. They, and it must have been because they, they sat, said, they sat shiver. You know what that is? No. Um, you know what that is? Yeah. So you die. Jewish people sit around on boxes and you bring them like a fruit cake or a honey cake or something and you sit shiver, you go around being miserable and remembering the dead. It's a death rite. Huh. They said she was dead. She was dead to them. So I never um, I never I never saw my grandparents on my mother's side. Never. Picture um, pictures of them? Never. You don't know what they look like? Nope. Nope. Um but they, they must have had an extraordinary enough love and mutual need that they've been together for 62 years. Wow. You think they're still in love when you see them? Oh, yeah. 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 They might drive each other crazy. No, uh, absolutely. 62 years. Come on. Which, um, which of the fighters or people that you've profiled? Did you meet Joe Namath, for example? Did you spend time with him? No. I met him. And uh, I met him. And uh, and then he wanted to, like, he looked at it as a rights deal. And I looked at it as, I'm writing a biography. So we came to an impasse. Huh. And I, I um, my, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had the balls to do it if I had another job or um, if I knew it was actually involved, I wouldn't have the balls to do it. But my model, the, the reason I thought I could do this was Nick Tashis's Dino. Huh. She never, I don't know if you're familiar with the book. No. Nick Tashis, a great writer, just passed, extraordinary stylist, even when he was like so over, not just over the top like over to like Jupiter hmm. but incredible verbal dexterity um, real New Yorker cynical poetic I thought beautiful but I had this in mind where he never talks to Dean Martin and the last scene is is, is Martin at Chasen's and the first scene is like an imagined interior monologue um, 
with Dean Martin on the set of some schlocky cowboy movie. Hmm. It's fucking great. Hmm. Um, but so I had this story about Namath, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, oh, it's a biography. I could do it like kind of like how Tasha did it. Just I, I know it's not a particularly original sentiment, but that's how. I don't know if that's how all writers think, but that's how this one felt. Like, I could do it like how Nick did it. I think um, a lot of us fall. I, I read I read homage to Catalonia, and I was kind of like, it, it felt like the Zapruder film, to me. You're in an interesting place. Nobody's ever been like Abraham Zapruder, great cameraman, tremendous technique. It's because you don't need to be. You're somewhere interesting, and I never, I never thought of Cuba that way. That it was interesting enough to just that worthless me not doing anything interesting can just did you think of yourself as worthless then? i hadn't done anything of value but did you but you you have at some point you have the there's this enormous conceit i'm gonna go write a book i'm gonna do the proposal i'm gonna tell someone to give me money to write a book i wasn't completely convinced i was worthless but i was mostly convinced but you felt a lot better yourself when you got the check right boy scared but both uh, it was it was the opposite feeling of the first time I had a real opportunity with boxing as an amateur, and the moment the bell rung, I it was I, I don't believe in God, but I heard a voice that said, "You do not belong," and I went, "Well, I I still have to stay." That was the voice just before you got hit, right? Well, that was the voice just when the bell rang, and I, and then I knew I had nine more minutes of fighting somebody who was on a lot of steroids. Very. Where was this? This is in Vancouver. But I was just aware, you, you don't belong here. And I felt 90% of my energy just ebb away. And I thought, wow, I, I don't. I'm not meant to do this with my career. I'm not meant to do this with my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what, where I go from here, but I, I'm an imposter. And I shouldn't be here. And Your dad I, wanted to be a writer. Yeah, and he was a writer. He was a great, he was a very talented writer. But I think he had a similar feeling with when a professor said to him, you're one of the most talented students I've seen in 30 years in creative writing, and that's where it stopped. And that's how I felt as a boxer at 18, where somebody said, I'll give you $2,500 a month to stake you to become a, a fighter. And I went, nope, <laughs> that's the end of me taking this seriously. But when I got the book deal, for it was like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm older now. I've had a lot of failure that I'm getting used to, but I, I, can, I can do this. I can figure out a way to do this. It was the opposite sense. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I, I think I can do this. And it just went from there. I'll do my best. And if it sucks, if nobody likes it, if they want their money back, I have no fallback plan. And so that's why when I see fighters who've come up on a tightrope with no safety net, I come at them with a huge amount of admiration because I may not have landed anywhere of real significance economically, but like you're going to a war you believe in. And I, I'm, yes. I'm on the side of anybody who does that in a big way. Right, but that's also why, I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge fighters for making money. No. In the way that I, uh, can you believe I'm looking at the TV and I'll, I'll see, you know, a guy who's staying in the major leagues for an extra nine years because he's a lefty, but you know. Sure. Um, I don't. I, I begrudge like the baseball players, the in the same way that all the fans do, drinking beer, watching them on TV. Um, but I, I, I don't the fighters. First of all, they're probably underpaid, or maybe the MMA fighters are more underpaid. But um, I, I don't begrudge them anything because their heroism 
is, is evident, or, or the risk is, I, I should, uh, they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily heroism, but the risk is clear. Yeah. And you, you've, you know, you've been covering it, you said you saw your first fight in 1988, so over 30 years of... Um, yeah, 91 I started writing a column, I think, I'd seen, I mean, I remember, I remember going to the Ritz downstairs, now it's, what is it? We're at Irving Plaza now, the, the Ritz, uh, the Ritz at St. Hagler Hearns, the, the, when they had um, Closed Circuit. I mean, Closed Circuit was like a big night out. Mm. Go drink beer and go, they had the, uh, I, was always, I always remember like, what happens if some shit goes down? Because they had the, the wooden folding chairs at the Ritz. Oh, wow. Did shit ever go down? No. No, no it's been happening. It's <laughs> huh. Do you, um, I mean, how is it different? It seems like, like, if I had a few fighters say to me, wow, wow, like nobody ever, Andre Ward mentioned this to me once. He's like, why, fighters never come down here and spend five days with me in Oakland. I'm like, because they can't, because they can't afford it. Like 95% of guys. Fighters who, though? Or writers? Writers, writers. And I was like, 95% of guys who cover boxing do it for a credential. They're not paid. And he's like, are you serious? I was, like, I was like, yeah. How much do you think I'm getting paid to come out here for five days to write an article? Like, there's no money in it. You're making $3 million, $4 million to fight somebody. And he just didn't, he never thought of it. Why should he? But it was interesting that he had this view that it was like, we don't want to spend five days with him sort of thing. But it's like, no, there's a hotel to pay for. There's a flight to pay for. There's our food to pay for. Well, I... I tease Andre now that he's such an extraordinarily talented member of the media, and he was and he was guarded, he was suspicious, and now he sees the other he other, sees the other side and a couple things. And, right. And but it was just interesting. He's 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 a good guy. And he's a guy unlike I was saying like the gambler mentality walking into the casino. Andre always worked for the casino. His mentality was he was the dealer who's addicted to watching guys lose as opposed to the guy who's in there to try to win. Totally different mentality than every fighter I've ever met, Andre. Super smart, but... I, I, I think Andre's one of the few fighters I actually feel some kinship with, and I can, actually, I can say this. He might be more neurotic than I am. Hmm. He's certainly more of a perfectionist. Yeah. Now, when, when he... And he's going through what he wants to say. He, he's got everything down to the. He has the sentences mapped out. He has his thoughts mapped out. He, he's taking enormous care in everything he says. And we'll go through like a rehearsal of what you want to, you know, where you're going to go on this point. And. He's incredibly hard on himself and um, a perfectionist. And if he doesn't get it right, no, I want to do that one again. And uh, I can see, I have a glimpse of how he was in training. But as relentless a perfectionist as I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nuts. You know, the most interesting thing with him, the one moment of truth I felt like I had with him, not to say that what he was talking to me about over those four days we spent together wasn't true. It was. It was facts. He's very detailed about it. Here's the road trip we're going on. I'm going to inventory 
these are the houses I grew up in and all of that. It was interesting, I liked them. But the moment that was revealing was like this little crack. It was, you, you like the movie Vertigo? You ever see the Hitchcock movie? When Jimmy Stewart is looking beside the mirror into the flower shop as the girl's buying flowers, it's, it's such a creepy fantasy glimpse of, of who that person is. What was, the, what was the moment? The moment was we visited his, his aunt and I think she was remarried and she first time ever talking to the media about his parents and the drug addiction and that kind of stuff. And reporters knew about it, but like he'd never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And so he clearly instructed her, I want you to be open about this. We're going to mm -hmm. talk about it. And she did. And at the end of it, her husband kind of signaled to Andre, could you come into the kitchen? Mm -hmm. And he immediately looked at me in a way he hadn't looked at me the whole time. Mm -hmm. And he went, yeah, I'll be there in a second. And he's like, you can't write about this. You? Me, meaning me. You can? You can't. cannot. And what did you say? I said, write about what? And I looked into the kitchen, leaned over, and I glimpsed all the merchandise that's been laid out on the table. Oh. And he's holding a Sharpie. Oh. oh. Quid pro quo. And I asked him after we got back in the car, I've never really heard you address, you, you talked about that you were adopted by your trainer, but you have a lot of family. Mm -hmm. What happened there? Like, why didn't any of your family? And he went, again, a look I had not seen on his face before, and he went, nobody put up their hand. And then it went right back to sort of the script that we were on. And I just thought, wow, this guy, this guy is a real genius at control. Yeah, but he had to be. He had to well, right. It was, it, but. Right. With, with people everywhere totally out of right, control. Right, but so what, like, if for, for people who think that Andre may have been standoffish during his career, or suspicious, which I never covered him, but I assume he probably was. Um, A, first of all, it's rooted, you know, you want to know your heroes? That's where it starts, and that's why I go there. But the other thing is, like to me, with Andre, it's a majestic story mm -hmm. because he does what no other fighter, with very rare exceptions, does. He controlled the terms of combat. Totally. And by that I mean not just what was out the out of the ring, but what, what was in the ring, but what was out of the ring. And again. Why this game works better for us than it does for the fighters um, is because humiliation, degradation, those are things to write about. The hero is degraded. He has to climb his way back, whether it's, 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 it's you know, popular entertainment like Rocky or, or it's a sort of poetry like Raging Bull. doesn't matter. It, it, it's about humiliation and how do you overcome humiliation and almost none of the fighters get out alive none of them get out with their in, with their integrity unimpaired Andre did to me that's the true beauty of Andre that I think is the majesty of Andre I, I got out alive I got out before you could do my soul and I have this beautiful wife and I have my kids I have my family, and it's intact. And it's in a gated community. Whatever, I, but like, I'm safe. 
right. and I'm happy, and I controlled this, and I got out of you know my dad being you know an addict, my mom being an addict. I'm not saying anything inside of school here, but no, no. I emerged from that. I I emerged from all the other degradations and humiliations that ruined the strongest guys, and I don't have to like I don't have to bet college football. I don't have to talk shit. I don't have to act like a clown. I don't have to do all these other things that other guys have to do. I don't have to make up stories to get me in the limelight. I won. That's a real win. Well, and no, it, it, it's interesting because, like, I remember seeing him at his most. We talked, he and I, about going in against Kovalev. And I'm like, I admire you to the hill. I think you're an extraordinary fighter. But that guy, that guy's killed a guy with his fist. He's dangerous. But he's one of those no remorse guys either. Oh, yeah. Kovalev had no feeling. I killed a guy. No. Some guy like Mancini, you know, you're haunted. Ray was, is, is, I, I could see in looking back, you know, Ray's to very Catholic religious construct, heaven, hell, Mancini died, there were ghosts in this world, he, he overcame that, but he had remorse and regret and guilt, Kovalev did not. Well, yeah, I mean, even... And I didn't, I didn't realize, I thought Kovalev beat Andre. He'll be pissed off if he lives. I thought Kovalev beat Andre in the first fight. Knocked him down. It's like the, the most compelling visual evidence I see. You know. I thought he, I thought he okay, did too. Right. Okay. So, but I didn't realize what happened in the first fight until I saw the second fight. It was a bully and he quit. I just thought the moment in that first fight that was so telling to me, why I see Andre as this croupier, is it was like when Kovalev knocked him down. Croupier, that's an interesting metaphor. It was interesting because it was like Andre had this smile on his face when he got up. And it was like, okay, it's like the croupier dealing to one of the betters who gets a 20. And it's like, oh, okay, like that's going to be a hard hand to beat. And then at the end of it was Blackjack, fuck off. And the same in the second fight, fuck off. Oh, the first one was contentious, I got you. Boom, another one bites the dust. So the look was just a croupier watching a guy just, he's done. And now I can walk off. You're done. I don't care about the debate. It's official. I'm, I'm, I'm out. And that's a very different mentality than these fighters. Like, you know, Ali coming back again and again and again and again. I'm going to make it. You haven't seen anything yet. And he does make it but a bunch of times. You, right, but, but whether you call it, or, or go back to, to Mailer's conception, mm -hmm. or at least um, Mailer codifying the myth of Ali, all right? Mayweather, Ali, Andre in a controlled way, even though he took everyone you know, methodically, you have to have this incredible, overpowering narcissism, ego, to get back in there. Yeah. Okay, I'm rich. I don't need to do this. But it's gonna bug me until I do. It's gonna bug me until I do. Do you think the, Do you think the high is worth it for these guys? Like as look, because most of their lives are just ravaged by the game. Is the high worth it for them? From your sense of interviewing all these guys, like it depends. I mean, from well, their perspective, guys who think they're being honest with themselves sometimes can no longer be honest with themselves because they're sort of they've been they they're impaired by the game are they addicts i think it's 
in a certain sense, I think it's something. I want to be the highest paid quarterback. I don't care if it's by nickel. I want to be the highest paid quarterback. Who gives a shit? I give a shit. And I, I, I definitely think it's like that with fighters. Um, and it, it's, it's become more and more severe and intense since Floyd used the pay-per-view numbers as like self-glorification, self-gratification, evidence of his standing, which in fact it was. Dick measuring. Yeah, right. Right, the ultimate. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm, I'm measuring, and you know, and then you get like imitators when you have like the Broner's about billions. Okay, about. Um. It's kind of back to Warhol. What's a painting worth? What will somebody pay for it? Yes. Well, nobody, nobody'd been crass enough to say that. And 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 and, no one's as smart as you to say that. Well, he said it. I'm just quoting it. Well, wait a sec, though. Yeah, but bring it into this. No. But, but what I'm saying then is, so for all of us pissing on Mayweather McGregor, what was it worth? What people fucking paid for it. Right. Which was a lot. Right. $100 million for him. Right. We're not, there's not a, a legendary nights looking back at all those, those fights where he made piles of money because people didn't really enjoy most of those fights after they were done. I think everyone misses the great moment in his career. I was there, it was subtle, but it's not the first thing, is uh, Mosley cracking him with the right hand. Boom. He was out. It's interesting. Even in that moment. That was the most exciting moment of his career, wasn't it? Even in that moment, he knew what to do. And and, and, and there's always this incredible misnomer of guys talking about casual fans, fans. He ran. He never ran. No. He didn't run against Maidana. Maidana hit him in the, in the dick. He didn't run. It's like, whatever. Okay. I deal with it. He, he fought out, you know, he wasn't overly aggressive. He didn't take incredible risks. But he never ran. He boxed, man. Yeah. He boxed. Whether you like that style or not, that's a, that's something different. Well, I, and I, I, go, I go a step further. I criticize Floyd a lot for his conduct as a human being, how he treats right. women and stuff like that. But in that moment, the closest he came to losing, which his entire business model was predicated on because nobody was paying to watch him win. Correct. But once he, once he became the biggest asshole imaginable in entertainment, mm-hmm. where he's capable of earning $200 million for 12, for 12 rounds of playing tag mm-hmm. against Pacquiao, the closest he came to giving the people who were paying to watch him lose that moment, he looked more poised than the person who was about to knock him out. Right, and then he pitches shut up. And then he pitches a shut up. That's the kind of guy. But that, but that to me was Ali like. After amazing. he got cracked, okay, this is who I am, and that's a, again, it's force of ego. It's 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 how you've been taught. It's how you've internalized this stuff. You've practiced so much. Okay, this moment came. I'm out. But I I've I've trained myself in that place. It's close to instinct. I've trained long enough and hard enough. It's ingrained enough to me. To all right, I gotta grab. I gotta I gotta get through this next period. Then I can get back. And I can't help but go. The most poignant story of his childhood is his dad, a drug dealer, holding, holding up his up. son as a human I, shield. I mean, to laugh, which but, I'm but, not a father. So I, I, back to I think our original point here is it, it it's impossible to really cover the sport, the guts of the sport. And how the fighters got to be fighters, unless you're dealing with um, the family, 
and the father. Right. Well, it's funny you say it because Roy took me to meet his dad, who he hadn't talked to for 12 years. And Big Roy takes me and is beaten up Bentley to pick up his other his son, who's young. And I asked him, like, why is he still going? He said, basically, just what you said. I don't oh, think, really? I don't think he did enough. Did he do enough to have schools named after him? Yeah. Yeah. Did he do enough to have schools named after him? That's legacy, son. And I went, you don't think he's done enough? I don't. I think he, in his own mind, doesn't think that he's done enough. Then I rest my case. About all this. But right back to fathers and, and sons. The, right. And about... Yeah. And about have you, have you justified what your, your dad gave you or took from you? Right. Yeah. Let's leave it there. That's good. Man. Thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcon Swaby, Dolgan Media, myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler, and our audio editor is Anda Salaji. Thanks for listening. <laughs>